Welcome to Timely Wisdom with Drs. Alice Bradford, Sarita Wright, Brenda Wallace, Carolyn Carlisle, and I am Venice D. Burns. You can watch us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Today our guest is Dr. Melva Sampson, Pink Robe Chronicles. This was recorded on March 30th, 2021. We have a powerfully gifted, authentic woman of God coming to us today. None other than the Reverend Dr. Melva L. Sampson, Assistant Professor of Preaching and Practical Theology. She is a practical theologian and ordained minister. Her research interests include Black preaching women's embodiment, African heritage spiritual traditions, Black girls' ritual performance, and the relationship between digital proclamation and spiritual formation. She is the creator and curator of Pink Robe Chronicles, curator, and Raising Womanish Girls, both digital platforms used to elucidate the role of sacred memory and ritual in the collective healing of marginalized communities. I want you to put in the chat section, welcome the Reverend L. Sampson. Melvin L. Sampson, how you doing, Dr. Sampson? Greetings, greetings. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It is so good to be with each of you. We are excited that you're here. And the, the one question that we always ask, how are you doing in these COVID streets? <laughs> Listen, there's not enough cow gone to take me away. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Listen here. Listen here. It is really from from day to day, from moment to moment. You know, it changes. Um, it is when I was a little girl uh, growing up in the Baptist church. Um, all the children used to sit in the back of the church in the in the last few pews. And uh, the ushers would always come tell us to be quiet. Uh, mm. I would always tune in, though, to when it was time to sing the congregational hymns, because I love to I just was fascinated by them. And uh, one of my favorites, um, the uh, time is filled with swift transition. And I remember seeing, you know, the deacons used to be tapping their feet. Uh, on we had carpet. We didn't, you know, we we were at city church, so we had carpet. Um, and, and, uh, and the mothers though used to be rocking from side to side. And my mm-hmm. grandmother's favorite saying was, "Life will show you better than it can ever tell you." And so think of that question, you know, what is what? How am I doing in these COVID streets? I just remember the singing of those hymns, and I just hear that time is filled with swift transition, you know. And I feel myself rocking from day to day as it steadies me, right? As it as it keeps me, as it holds me, you know, because you just never know. Um, today is only Tuesday. I think Friday I received three calls of three very important people in our lives who were struggling. Um, with COVID. And so it's just from day to day. It is from day to day um, that we are here, um, that we are present. And it is not, I know you didn't ask me this, but I just want to say this. Oh yeah, you're good. <laughs> it is not because, um, 
you know, I know that we are, for those who've not, for whom COVID has not struck um, them either personally in their body or in their family, and we start to praying and, oh, you know, God saw fit to keep me. And, and I just want to suggest that it's not about God seeing fit to keep you because God is not a respecter of a person. If it didn't visit you, it's not because God stopped it. It's because it didn't visit you. So the prayer is, right, the prayer is that God would keep us all and show us how to deal with it and how to be present in the midst um, um, of how it is attending to people that we know. And, you know, our response to it is not God blocked it, but blocking and wearing these masks and staying six feet apart. That's our response. Come on, come on, come on. And and getting your vaccine. And and, and amen. I have received mine, both of them. Me too, both. You fully vaccinated, amen. Amen. (laughs) And you're mm-hmm. talking to a person, I don't even get the flu vaccine. Neither do I. I am, I am that proud. I don't deal with vaccines. I'm an anti-government kind of proud. I don't do that. That is not what I do. Our children didn't even get vac- vaccinated until they were already in elementary school. That's yep. not rock like that. But I just want to say for the people who are listening, I got it. I didn't post on Facebook. I didn't show my vaccine, but I got it. I got it. Because this this is a different thing. Mm-hmm. Six hundred thousand. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> you, I um, you have been in. Um, I've watched your your ministry for years, and I've seen you talk about your stories and how how you walked in a church and you were invited to a church, but you were on a um con- a conversational broadcast with Bishop Elect Vanessa Brown, Bishop um, Yvette Flunder, and Bishop Pearson. Right. I was that you were. Yes, um, uninvited to preach at a church where a black woman threatened to leave the church if the pastor allowed you to speak again. First question, or first, I want you to share that story with our viewers. And secondly, can you share how God reshaped your ministry in spite of the barriers that you've experienced, especially as a black woman? My God. So, yes. Um I'm giving the sanitized version of that story. It's a no, little, we, we little bit more. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Tell this, this is timely wisdom. I'm giving you the wisdom. I'm definitely giving you the wisdom. Um, so, it, you know, I wasn't a guest. This was the church I attended. This was the church I was serving. This was the church I was a member of. This is where my family and I worship. This was, you know, where we were offering, you know, our gifts. Um, and there was a lot going on at the time, you know, in the church. Um, however, um, the, the pastor, the senior pastor who was male was away. Mm-hmm. out of the country. And we had already discussed that I would preach, you know, on a particular Sunday. And um, for all the time that the pastor was away, my thing was, you know, I'm a worship leader. I definitely will preach, but I'm a worship leader, meaning, you know, I'm not leading the praise thing. I could, but I'm a liturgist. That's what I should say better is, is I'm a liturgist. And, um, and so uh, when the pastor got back, I received, it was like maybe on a Friday and I got a call saying, you know, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and preach on this Sunday. Thank you. But, you know, I think the Lord gave me something to say and I'm going to say it. Now, usually, you know, you would say, okay, you know, you but I, Something in my spirit was like, makes no sense. This makes no sense. Mm. You know, if you've traveled internationally and if you've been to where this person was, 
you know that that's a long plane ride. And you know that preaching is the last thing you're trying to do. I don't care if the Lord gave you a word from on high. It is your body won't even let you do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just was like, what's happening? Something it won't let me sit right. And because of the type of demeanor I, you know, walk in, I just contact. I said, I feel like there's something more to this. And I want to give you the invitation to share it with me. And the invitation was, well, you are correct. There are some, first it started out as some, and then I was able to get it out to one. And then I was able to understand who that one was. Um, but that was a, a black woman um, who said that they were not interested in hearing your voice. And if they heard your voice again, then they would leave. Now, what does it mean for you to tell a black woman, a black woman who is called to preach, that you don't want to hear her voice. What does that mean then for black women at large and black girls who have always had to negotiate their identity in public? What does it mean when you tell them that I want you to be quiet and there's no space for you here to share your gift? That's questionable, right? That, that's highly questionable. Um, and I mean, and so... I was um, torn. I certainly have heard stories from Black women in ministry. I'd never fully experienced, I, I experienced side shade or I experienced enough shade where I could handle this on my own. <laughs> like I, I got to, as, as you may be able to tell, you know, I have a quick mouth. Quick responses are always ready, right? My tool belt is always ready. This why I just didn't have one. I was so hurt because this was a colleague, not the woman, but the male. I considered a colleague. A, a friend, you know, a, a, a big brother, even, you know, a colleague in this work. Um, and it learned so much that I was just dumbfounded. I was just like, oh, okay. And so, um, you know, it was hard to go back to church. I didn't go back to, to the physical sanctuary for a long time because I felt like, listen, Negroes, because <laughs> you know what I really want to say, listen, it, <laughs> What's not going to happen if I can't do this, then surely I can't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so we're not yeah. going to be pinching and choosing and you're going to decide you still want me to do this part and not do. No, that's not what we're doing. And so um, the ministry shift came because um, I was at home. Um, I, I was writing my dissertation during that time. And um, I was instead of writing, I was skimming Facebook and um, learned about the death of young Kareem Gaines. Kareem was a young um, black woman in the Baltimore area who initially had been pulled over by the police, but Kareem also identified as a sovereign citizen. As a sovereign citizen, it means that you don't honor the laws of this government because you are sovereign. And so as a result, um, the police came to her home the next day and the sheriff came to her home and they were attempting to serve a warrant. And she, believe, as a sovereign citizen, believes in the right to bear arms and to protect herself. And so when the police came to her door, she took out her arms to protect herself. She had her son in her arms and the police told her to put down her arms. And she told them, you put down your arms. You came to my house threatening me. Right. So and I have a right to protect myself. She went live for a part of this altercation on Facebook. 
And uh, that affected me because the part that I remember watching, I was just like, whoa, this black woman is like streaming lot. Like we know this is about to end very tragically. Mm. And it is if this black woman is saying, this is what you're not going to do. You're not about to be able to shift this narrative and yeah. shift this to show like I'm in control up until I draw the last breath. Yes. He did not put her weapon down. The sheriff fired, shot her and grazed her son. And ultimately she was killed. I was undone. I was undone. Um, and I went, the live feature had just come. And I was just like, initially I thought this Facebook live was a little obnoxious because that's back during the time when folk were posting, uh, Melva Sampson is eating dinner with friends. <laughs> um, <you> know, <laughs> and so I was like, why would I ever want to see what you're doing live? Like, I just, why would I want to, that's just too much. I wasn't interested in that. But yet I found myself in a place where I was just wounded. And I realized at that moment, Reverend Dr. Brenda, that the trigger and the trauma that I just recently experienced from this type of rejection was kind of coalescing with what I was seeing this black woman who was trying to just be in her humanity. And um, I just hit live and started talking and started talking. And uh, that Sunday came and um, I, I woke up and I had the urge to make um, chicken and dumplings, not biscuit dumplings, dumplings where you make your broth and get your flour and you make your dough. No shade to all you biscuit dumpling makers. How so never? I felt the sense of my grandmother. When I, whenever I get the inclination to cook a certain dish that I, that's not like a regular thing, I know it's, it's my ancestors communicating with me. Yeah. I got up in the morning. I got my rolling pin and flour my pen. You know, I'm getting my stuff ready. And as I'm rolling out my dough, I just hear my grandmother start talking to me about the press and about, you know, my dough at some point was too sticky. She said, baby, you got to put some more flour on the pen so that it won't stick to you. So I put the flour on the pen and then it was spread out too thin. And then she told me I had to put a little bit of water on it now because it was dry. And there were all of these lessons that she was trying to share with me about how to become pliable to life situation that in making these, this, this these dumplings, right? That the dumplings were showing me how in some spaces I was too dry and other places there was too much water, how I had to shift and shift the recipe. And what I didn't know, friends, was that the recipe was shifting to me. My ministry recipe was shifting, right? That's what she was telling me in that kitchen. And so it was so profound that I went live again and said, y'all, I have just got to share what I'm experiencing. I started going live every Sunday after that. And there was uh, Reverend Kim Payton said to me, when you going to do another Pink Robe Chronicle? And I said, what is that? She said, oh, that's what I call it when you go live because you always have on that pink robe. I said, girl, because that's my priestly robe. Like, that's the robe I done prayed in, cried in, shouted in. I wrote my dissertation in. I done cussed Negroes out in. You know, I, I done felt going to the hospital in this robe. This was the robe, you know, that I was wearing when I found out I was going to have to have this baby early and it wasn't. Listen, this is the robe right here. I don't even think I realized I had the robe on, right? And so from there, I just started being concerned consistent, um, not thinking that this is a ministry. It started because I wanted to talk to people. It started because I was in a valley. It started because 
I was walking in the wilderness and I didn't want to walk it alone. I wanted some folks that was going, that was up on Sunday morning, uh, who wanted to talk and who wanted to share. And the moment I allowed myself to be free enough, there's the operative term to be free enough not to be concerned what was happening in the traditional institution is the moment where I became liberated. Oh my God, what a great segue. Because <laughs> at, at the Samuel DeWitt conference, you talked about being exiled. Talk to us about the different exiles that we are caught in. Come on, help us, help us to get free, sis. Come on, come on. See. Woo-wee. This is timely wisdom. Um, I want to be clear a little bit though. Uh, I want to, I understand exile. I want to be clear to help the, the listeners and the viewers understand the type of exile I'm talking about. I'm talking about a voluntary exile. I'm not talking about the exile that many um, Black people and other body people have been um, forced into, right? I'm talking about the voluntary exile that one chooses as it is a resistance to a type of compromise that will cause you to compromise your entire being. And so rather than compromise your worth, the wealth of your spirit, the wealth of your being, you determine that this situation no longer feeds me. This situation, I'm preaching to myself here, my God, today, you recognize that this situation um, um, is no longer purposeful, right? It it has expired. You know, let me give you an image. Well, this might not be a good image for you, but it's a good image for me. The most problematic part of my refrigerator is the door. And why? Because that's where the condiments are. That's where the salad dressings are. That's where the pickles are. That's where the butter is. That's where all of the things that can leak and drain and drip, they all right there, right? The mustard child, that was old in 2020. Uh, The salad dressing got a corner in it. Somebody done put it back. They know they should have thrown it away, but they put it back. Um, You know, the the door thing is broke off the butter thing. So every time you open up the refrigerator, the butter fall. Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So most of it is really expired. And I asked myself a long time ago, friend, why don't you throw this away? What is giving you comfort around keeping these things that are long past their expiration date? Do you know what happens when you keep things beyond their expiration date? Wrong types of bacteria can get in your body and they can heal you. So what does it mean for us to voluntarily voluntarily say that I'm going to walk away from everything that is expired? (laughs) I'm looking at the date on this and it says that you was dead. Some of this stuff was dead upon arrival. Uh, When it got to, listen, I know y'all ain't inviting me on here to preach, but y'all know I'm on sabbatical for Pete Rope Chronicles. You I just feel my help, Natasha Robinson. I feel my help. So I'm just saying, the, the types of exiles, let me try to bring it down. So the, the type of exiles, and I'm glad that you made it plural because there are many. The type of exiles, um, and, and I, I'm going to speak to, first I'm going to speak to black women, um, that, that we have to, I use Vashti in that, right? Um, many of us have heard sermons on Esther and many of us have wanted to be, you know, if I perish, let me perish, but I'm going to see the king, right? But nobody wants to be banished. 
Nobody wants to be exiled, never to be heard of in the text again. But I just want to suggest that there is a liberation and never to be heard of it because just because you ain't heard of me again doesn't mean that I'm not out here doing it. What it simply means or what it could mean is that that I'm so far beyond this type of bondage, right? Uh, and, and so the types of exiles that we need to be free from are the exiles that cause us to believe that what we have to say or what we have to give or the work that we are called to do has no value. We need to voluntarily separate ourselves from any person, anything, any system that that wants to tell us that we are not who God says that we are. Even down to the fact when it's family, when it's lover, when it's children, when it's direct reports. Vasti, the text says that the eunuch said that the king has requested you, demanded, and she simply refuses. Not simply, because I don't want to suggest that it's that it's easy. But what we don't know behind that text is how long Vashti had been accepting those demands. How long had she been coming to the banquet? How long has she been feeling debased? How long was she feeling rejected? How long was her voice silenced? She got to a point where having parties for her and her girls just didn't do it anymore. She was willing then to give up this perceived place of privilege. And you got to say perceived, right? Because people see timely wisdom. Oh, they doing it. They, they, They don't know what's happening in the background of your life. They don't know what's happening in the green screen of your life. They don't know what's going on. They have no clue, right? But they so busy trying to get to, I'm going to give me one. Mm, I'm going to do, yep. We're going live next week. Uh-huh. Yep. I'm doing this because if they could just, friend, exiles, uh, a, a, uh, when we decide that we are going to um, stand in our lane and standing in our lane means that when I stand in my lane, it means that I give spirit permission to expand my lane. Yes, Lord. When you're driving, what is the cardinal rule? You got to do what? Stay in your lane. Because when you veer off, you can cause what? A collision. Ha! <laughs> but when you stay in your lane, even if you are on a one lane highway, eventually that one lane highway will dump you out into an interstate. And eventually when you get onto that interstate with those three and four lanes, it's like body memory, right? Even though you were, you were confined to this one lane just a few miles previously, but you've already driven on an interstate before. So the body memory kicks in and before you know it, you got your turn signal on because now you know how to move lanes. But what is the, the thing here? You know how to move lanes because space has been provided for you to move lanes. You didn't create the interstate. It was already there. All you needed to do was know how to shift. So we need to know how to shift. That is so important for us. And if COVID has taught us anything, COVID, the the, the buzzword is pivot, you know, but what COVID has taught us is that we have to shift because I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. And depending on who you are, this is not bad news. This is good news. It's not going back to what it was. Yeah. And it shouldn't go back. It really shouldn't go back. So you have preached to us. We're going to let you preach a little longer, Griot. 
Come on, come on, preacher. Uh, we want to go to the uh, Hush Harbor. Yes, 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 yes. Well, we used to have church. Yeah. And we had the ring shout. Yes. So go ahead and continue, Griot, and talk to us. How Ashe. did you become a digital Griot? Ashe. So uh, I am on sabbatical and I know people are like, how are you going on sabbatical? We've been seeing you on live because that's the work that I do though. And that's, this is really not work. It's hard for me to express to people that um, it is the calling and I have taken a step back, right? I'm not doing as much as I have been, but this is a part of the work. So I'm currently working on my my first manuscript length book, which is tentatively called Going Live, uh, Black Women Preaching in the Digital Age. And the the way that I talk about black preaching women or the way that I, we'd say theorize in the academy, but the way that I understand them is a simple way of saying theorize. The way that I'm interpreting them, the way that I'm charting them or looking at them is to suggest that they are griots, but they're not just griots, they are digital griots. So let me back up a little bit. Griot coming from out of Mali. Um, West Africa, uh, a griot, uh, um, the French African speaking countries would call it a jolly, right? A griot is one who has the gift, who has the calling. Let me back up. It's not even a gift. It's a calling based on what they were born into to retell the story. So a griot keeps the community alive by reminding the community who it is. And the way that it reminds the community who it is, is by retelling, or in some instances, telling the community its history. So it is suggested then that when a community begins to go disarray, when a community begins to dissipate, separate, when all types of problematic folly becomes central in a community, it is suggested in our African uh, tradition, at least in, 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 in the tradition from which the griot comes from, that it is because we have forgotten who we are. Let me just put a pin right there and let me jump over to Burkina Faso, West Africa, um, from, from Mama Sabon Fusame, who was the former wife of Maladoma Somme, who talks about, because I need to talk about why Agrio is so important and why forgetting who we are is problematic. Mm. Mama Sabonfu Somme, who is now an ancestor, says that in Burkina Faso, um, of the she is of the Dagara people, that when a child is born, before the child comes into the earth, that both the mother and the village elder has listened to the child, first has asked the child, who are you? And has listened for a response. And then when the child is born, there is a waiting period before the child is named so that the child, so that the, the mother or the, the parents and the community elder can be sure that this is who the child is. And then based on that, the community elder then names the child. Why is this important, Melva? Because the name usually is attached to a particular energy. So when you just name your children, you know, Pepsi, <laughs> uh, it's attached to a particular energy, right? So why is it important for a griot to remind people of their names? So let's take each of our church backgrounds, growing up in church, growing up in a time, I can look at us and tell we've grown up in a time where we were a part of a community where everybody knew us. 
They either knew us or they knew your mama. They knew your grandmama. They knew your family. They knew you. And when they called your name, something happened in the, when you was doing wrong and they called your name, you stopped in your tracks. Why? Because your name is attached to the purpose. Your name is attached to what you came to do in the world. And the reason why they're calling your name is because you're off track. So every time I say Brenda or Sarita or Shalice or Vanessa, I am calling forth the purpose that you agreed to and the purpose that your parents or your elders said you came into this earth to fulfill. So when a community is disrupt, it is often because the members of that community have forgotten their names. They They don't know their names. And so what the Griot's purpose is, the Griot's purpose is to remind you not just of your name, but Mm -hmm. to remind you of your story. Yeah. To rem- and to retell you, to tell, to, not to read, to, to tell you, to familiarize you with your story so that you won't think that you're around here just an empty vessel. I know we sing this in our gospels. So I'm just an empty vessel. My story is empty. But, the, but I like the song. I get it. But the problem with seeing yourself as an empty vessel is that you rid yourself of your legacy and your ancestry and your traditions. White folk wants you to be an empty vessel. That missionary Christianity wants you to be an empty vessel. Why? Because when you become an empty vessel, then you create a void. When you create a void, then I, as dominant culture, get to, I, as the slave master, I, as the slave capturer, I, as the missionary, then get to fill your void with my God. And I get to fill your void with everything that's important to me. And I get to tell you that anything that you thought you knew is antithetical to white Jesus. Yes. So what the griot is doing is helping to remind the community. And it's the digital griot because what black preaching women have done, black preaching women have said, okay, listen, black institutional church, this is what we're tired of. We're tired of begging to be in these pulpits. And if we do get this, we are tired of you district superintendent and you bishop sending us to these three point charge churches where we have to drive 60 miles a week on top of the way we have to drive to the regular job we have because this surely is not paying me enough money to be able to sustain myself or my family to run myself ragged D having church at the first and second Sunday here at the third and fourth Sunday here and at the fifth Sunday here we are tired of begging for the crumbs. We are tired of only getting asked to preach on Women's Day. You better preach. We are tired of waiting for you to, to, to have some kind of health issue, for you to recognize that you need me and that I'm here. We're tired of writing your sermons. We're tired of having to show up in a particular way that is respectable. No, we're going to show up with this tattoo. We're going to show up with this nose. We're going to show up because God has called us and when we show up, we're going to remind you but now listen y'all that's risky this is risky behavior let me just be clear this ain't for everybody this is for those right this is i'm thinking about Intazaki shanga for those who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough this is for those who have finally 
had it, right? And so what, before COVID, but particularly with COVID, what, and listen, uh, um, every black woman preacher is not a griot. Mm-hmm. Every black church is not a digital hush harbor. Mm-hmm. So what the digital hush harbor is, <laughs> per Reverend Dr. Wallace, the hush harbor was a physical place. Okay, a physical clearing, a wooded area uh, in the bush, um, somewhere tucked away where the enslaved could go commune with the gods they brought with them, the gods that their parents brought with them across the transatlantic. And in some ways, it was a type of cultural appropriation, if you will, because they appropriated white Jesus to fit in their container, use it as a mask, right? To be able to function in the day-to-day so that they can get to that hush harbor. And then Toni Morrison shows us using her character, Baby Sook's Holy, she shows us in her text, Beloved, in this here place, the hush harbor, where, where Baby Sook's Holy is preaching, right? On that rock that's coming from the earth. She ain't preaching behind no pulpit. She is preaching out there in the clearing amongst her people. She says, in this place, we flesh. Love on your flesh. Because over yonder, they don't love your flesh. Let your children hear you laugh. Let your children see you dance. And, And what was so beautiful about that is, at least in the movie adaptation of the book, when they're dancing, they're going counterclockwise. The digital hush harbor is counterintuitive to the very Christian hegemonic uh, misogynistic, uh, uh, um, um, uh, patriarchal, uh, homophobic pulpit because it is going counter to that culture. So every black church, and just because you take your black church and put it online, also doesn't mean you a digital hush harbor. A black preaching woman who is a digital griot, in my case, is a womanist. What is a womanist? A womanist. And my thinking is so simple. I know y'all waiting for this deep, deep, deep definition, but it's so simple. Okay. A woman is for me is a free black woman. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's it. Come on here. <laughs> because free black women. And I got in search of our mother's gardens right here. We know that to be, you know, a womanist is a four poor, according to Alice Walker, who provides for us Audacious. this four part, you know, definition, you know, of what a womanist is, you know. And so, yeah, we understand a womanist who is serious, who is, you know, audacious, who is not frivolous, who is not, you know, who, who takes things seriously, uh, who, who loves life, who loves body, who loves roundness, who loves dance, who loves music, right? Who loves the folk, who loves the people, who loves women occasionally or who loves women and loves men occasionally right we know a woman is to be all of that and all of what that says to me is that it's a free black woman good god almighty it's a free black woman and so it's hard to be free though it's hard to be free in a system that has commodified your pain mm. <laughs> mm. Oh. Mm. Wow. Uh-uh. Say it's more. Hard, it's hard to be free in a system where money is raised off of your pain. In an oh my God, today. It, 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 it's hard to it's hard. It's hard to be free mm-hmm. in a system that really doesn't stand unless you are in a position of pain. 
Wow. Wow. See, that's the that's what ha- that's the struggle with me for me when black church becomes institutionalized. I want us to retrieve to to engage in an act of sankofa, going back to fetch what was lost, the Akan philosophical understanding. I want us to go fetch the hush harbor. Because in the hush harbor, I wasn't concerned about respectability because the situation was so dire and so bleak. It was like I just needed something to 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 assist me in my parchment. I, I, I was parched. I was thirsty. And being around my folk, reconnecting, hearing them say the prayers or dance the dance or just having a cathartic release. I wasn't concerned with whether or not you saw me as 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 a human being, right? Because it was just something that was inherent in that moment. And I get it for all the folk who will say, you know, once, you know, the emancipation, uh, we were emancipated, then we had to foul into society and and we had to uh, assimilate. Uh, That's what they fed fed us though. And they fed us that because they were the ones who created the void. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm going to feed you and make you think that this is what you need. And so then as now that you think this is what you need, you are going to spend everything you have because you know us, honey, we ain't just going to do it. We're going to be the best at what we're doing. And if I see that 5th Street has it like this, then baby, you best to know that 16th Street going to have it like this, right? And so then we create this chasm in between low country, high country. Uh, We create this chasm that we see that comes during the great migration when folk are now moving north from south and to the Midwest in search of more, right? Because the plantation is problematic. And so World War II is happening. The Industrial Revolution. I know y'all asked for class. Go ahead, girl. Go revolution is happening. And, and as the Industrial Re- Revolution is happening, there are more industry jobs, right? There are more factory jobs. And so Black folk learn of this and slowly, that's how, I'm not from Pittsburgh because that's where my people from. My people from Tifton, Georgia. My people from Randolph County, Georgia. That's where my pe- I'm the only person born above the Mason-Dixon line in my family, right? And so you have these people searching and my people get to Pittsburgh unclear because it was industry, right? There was some factory. It's Pittsburgh is a steel town, right? Some factory, somewhere where they can make a part, where they could sew. My grandmother was a master seamstress, but it was a skill, a technology that she already had and when she got to Pittsburgh, Right. Recognizing and realizing that, oh, this is a it, this is a job here. And so there are ways in which we come onto this space because we want to be seen as, as human beings. And, and Nanny Helen Burroughs, the, the great black black Baptist, you know, woman who, who is the creator of Women's Day uh, and the women's auxiliary in the Baptist church. She puts out her 12 point charge, 12 things a Negro must do. Don't be in these streets loud. Don't be drunk. Wash up. Keep your, you know, keep. That's about respectability. Right. That's about policing us and keeping us in control. Not for us, but why? Because there was a belief and there was an ingenuity to it. Hear me. I'm not, there was, it was a survival strategy that if we can get white people to see that we are human, then maybe they'll treat us as such. So when you coming from the South, don't come up there with all this hand clapping. Don't come up here with all that shout now. Hold, don't you do that. Come on. We are dignified. 
and we sing chamber music and we are respectable and quiet in our worship. So ultimately, I forgot what I was talking about, but ultimately, because <laughs> I done went off on my tangent. Ultimately, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Well, right. Ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, what happens is the church is no longer a space of freedom because it has become institutionalized. Jesus. And then when we move into the 20th century, when now black churches are able to get loans um, uh, for big budget projects, right? But here's the thing. It's like a flip on respectability because while we, while we begin in respectability and then we say we liberate it, we move from respectability to a type of coonery. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, to a type, of, a type of buck dancing, a, a type of, you know, samboing, um, um, uh, a, 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 and a type of mammyism. Uh, hmm. Mammyism, and we become pimps. Step and fetch it. Step and fetch it. And we become pimps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We become pimps putting black women, gay folk, our gay community, our LGBTQ plus community on the track. Mm-hmm. Wow. Go make my money. Uh-huh. Wow. Bring it all here. Uh-huh. Sow it here. This is what the Lord requires of you. You want me to sow my money, but you don't have a room for me to share my gift. You want me to sow my money, but you won't bury my child because they wasn't in the church or because, you know, they were this or they were that. You want me, listen, listen, so the hush harbor. The reason why the Hush Harbor is attractive to so many is because for the first time since their ancestors praised, shouted, ring shouted in the Hush Harbor, they can be free. They can bring all of themselves. They can come. They can be laid up in their bed with whomever. Hear what I say. (laughs) With whomever. Okay. Okay. They can be present. And they can show up and they feel accepted. And the preacher is not scared to preach about certain things. Does the preacher is not concerned with whether or not we're going to meet that offering. And I listen, listen, I hear, I hear the backside of that, Melva, but what you don't, you don't have control, charge over a building. You're right. You don't have charge over these ministries. You're right. All of that's right. And I agree. And I'm saying that, yeah, you got to figure out how to do that, but you do have to figure out how to do that with some ethics. And with your integrity, you do have to do that in a way that you don't further oppress people, that you don't lie to people and tell them that if they give this, that God is going to show up. Can I just tell y'all a quick story? Not not the Samson, not the Samson. Lord have mercy. I'm I'm still, I'm just, I'm trying to catch my breath from 15 (laughs) minutes ago. Lord, and you just, whoo. Okay. All right. Okay. I just needed you to pause a moment. Just, I'm sorry. Jesus. Okay. Go ahead. I can breathe. I, I can't breathe, but I Lord have mercy. Just keep. Oh, you Jesus. still talking? Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. so I'm gonna go hood rest. You better show up and show out, Baptist woman. That's all Listen. I got to say. Listen. 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 You in the house? You in the house? Listen. Let me tell y'all this quick story. And I honor, I, when, when I'm telling these stories, I want to be clear because my purpose is not to shame because I was there. That was me at one time, right? 
Um, so I tell stories to inform, but that's also why I withhold certain types of um, uh, uh, identifying characteristics because I still respect somebody's humanity. Even though I may not agree with you the theologically, ideologically, um, I'm gonna respect the humanity in that. It's just it's just the way my grandmama and my mama them raised me, right? Um, but now like, don't push me in the words of Grandmaster Flash because I'm close to the edge, don't do it. <laughs> so um, I was a graduate student in an unnamed city, because if I said the city, you're going to know what church I'm talking about. It's not hard for you to find out, though, where I was a graduate student, because it's in my bio. So there you go on that. Uh, and one of the places I was a graduate student, um, I attended a very large mega church. And I just talking about these exiles. And I just met my, um, my he wasn't my spouse, this was 25, 26 years ago this year. And my spouse was, um, even then, um, he was, uh, a free thinking black man. And so um, he would just always have questions about certain things. But, you know, I was like, if it ain't Jesus, friend, that's it. <laughs> Jesus. And that's it. That's all the end. We're not talking about anything else. You know, he was like, well, you know, I'm not a Muslim, but I could really respect and appreciate Ramadan. So I fast. I was like, no. Is it Jesus? We not doing it. And so I was attending this big church and um, there was a revival at this church. And um, Juanita Bynum was at this revival. And this was right around the time of No More Sheets. Listen, I had a No More Sheets party at my house. We watched the video with me and some sisters. And it was, we was going to get free. We stocking up on toilet paper before COVID, you know, because we wanted to be ready. We was going to be prepared for whoever God was going to be. My husband wasn't going to wake up and we had no toilet paper, you know. For all of you all who've never seen No More Sheets, that's a reference to No More Sheets. So um, I was a graduate student and to speed the story up, I was a graduate student. So money was very scarce for me. But at this this Pentecostalism was new. I grew up Baptist um, and the only people there was there were no like um, praise, dance, shouts in our church. There were more rocks like, you know, we going to rock and I might shout out and scream out and flail my hands. But ain't nobody finna get on this piano and give you no hand. We ain't even doing that. Right. I didn't learn about that until college, until I went. And so then when I was at the graduate school, I was just um, like, this is amazing to me. Like, this is just I feel all of this, you know. Uh, but I also was introduced to prosperity gospel there and sitting and listening to her. Her exact words were the spirit of the Lord says and offer If you give this offering today, you will have seen your last worst days. Who don't want to see no more worse days? Me. I didn't have any money though, y'all, because at the last revival, at the last revival I went to, I gave my, I gave money that was put aside for my rent. And when I gave that money that was put aside for my rent, I then called the church to ask the church if they could help me with my rent. And the church said that they couldn't help me with my rent. So when the church said, so when the church said that they couldn't help me with my rent, um, I was like, okay, maybe I just didn't give enough. So now I'm back at this revival, and Juanita Bottom says, you know, you have give, you know, if you give today, but I didn't have it. The only thing I had on me was this tennis bracelet that my then boyfriend had given me for Christmas, and I had these gold bangles on that my deceased aunt had given me. And so I saw people were walking up to the stage and they were giving items of clothing. And so 
I want, I, who doesn't want to be redeemed? I don't want to be left out. Mama. And so I went and sold my tennis bracelet and a family heirloom because I believed at the time that that's what God wanted me to do. I worked at the bank that was not far away from the church. And so we counted down the overnight drops. And I happened to be assigned to count down the drop for that particular church. And inside the drop were um, um, pawn shop uh, receipts. Receipts. Because they had taken the items to the pawn to get the money to deposit into I I did not tell my spouse that for years. I mean like until like years like after I graduated seminary years. I just lied and said that I lost it. Because I was so embarrassed once I realized that that's just that God wasn't going to bless <laughs> that at the mis the misgiving of the teaching. Free us, when, I told, when I told my husband that he was so ooh, one, he was mad. He was mad. But he was just also, he looked at me with such pity. <laughs> and he was like, girl, you did what? He what the hell? You did what? Damn, is that what they do? Oh, excuse me, y'all. But it, <laughs> that's what y'all do. That's what y'all be doing up there. He said, I told you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Yeah. And so I say that just circling back to a, to those types of exiles. Our redemption is not tied to any material thing. Our redemption comes when a shift in our heart happens. Our redemption comes when our thinking shifts. When it shifts to the point where we can see a human need and address it and attend to it, where we can approach something without judgment, when we can when we can stop separating stuff like, oh, I love a person. I just don't like the sin. Mm-mm. Or, you know, we've all fallen. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. When we can see parts of God's creation as just that God's creation, you don't ever have to give when you don't have, but the giving here. So let me help us. We give though, because this is our community and we want to support the work that our community is doing. We give because it is a part of cooperative economics, collective work and responsibility that when we put our pennies together, we are able to do far more together than what we can do individually. So you give to the church house so that the church house could maintain, could be present and open, not exclusive. You can't take money for the from the community and then determine what part of the community you don't want to help. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. So what has happened then, you know, what a woman is does. <laughs> What a woman is does, it says, I'm committed to the survival of an entire community, the whole community. What Mama Sabonfu so may reminds us is that we don't get uh in her book, Falling Out of Grace, Welcoming the Spirit Home, 
Mama Sabonfu tells us that we don't get to put people out of community. She says that in the community, in the Dagaraway, the Dagaraway is that nobody gets put out the community, no matter what you've done. Well, then we say, well, shoot, how you address it then? Because some folks, you, I mean, she said the problem that we have in the West is that we don't have enough ritual. Oh, my Holy Ghost. What? Ritual? Because church told me, honey, that if it ain't, if it ain't Jesus, <laughs> that it is the devil, that it is. And not only did church tell me that, church also told me, church that has been, black church told me, that has been influenced by dominant culture, that has been influenced by Western capitalistic Christianity, whose whole goal is to make a dollar out of your 15 cents, whose whole goal is to get you to determine that you're going to give your whole life and all your belongings to it and white evangelical Jesus, right? Church told you that anything coming from Africa is antithetical to this particular propagandize Jesus. And so we believed it because we want to be what redeemed a people who has been tragically trashed. Their goal is to be redeemed and to be humanized. And so then what happens is the, your grandmama then stop admitting, right? Or stop letting people know that she understood the folk ways that her grandmama passed on to her. She stopped letting people know that she knew how to heal you, that she knew how to go pull a weed, pull a bush up out of the yard, boil it into a tea and drink it and break your fever. That she knew how to go get a plant and muddle it down till it became a powder. And she put a little water in it and made it a paste and made it some kind of salve and rubbed it all over over you. She didn't want to tell you that because the church told her that that was voodoo. Can I tell you something else about that? The way that we understand voodoo, the way that we understand hoodoo, Santeria, uh, 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 Yoruba, uh, Ifa, uh, uh, is all through the lens of the, the, the slave capture. Can I tell you this? Just a few more seconds on this right here. When the slave captures came to get our ancestors, uh-huh, and then when the Catholic missionaries, the Catholic pre the Catholic uh, uh monks, and not monks, the, the, the Catholic religious folk, those who would be um are they called monks? Uh, the Jesuits, the Jet the priest, the Jesuits, right? When they were missionizing, right, in these spaces, uh, friend, they didn't understand our languages, they didn't understand what they were seeing. They didn't understand our customs. And so again, if you don't know the language, what did they do? They assumed, they guesstimated at what they were seeing. And because they didn't know what they were seeing, the word witchcraft is not a word that is derived in any African language. That is a European word. That's determine something that is tragic or problematic. But if you don't understand spiritual technologies, come on, Black people, if you don't understand the way that your grandpapa and your aunties and your uncles understood the role of nature, understood how to use the elements and manipulate them in a way that would heal, that would raise the dead, then you would think that you were seeing something problematic. But can I tell you this? It was no more problematic than their own ancestors did. Their own ancestors, who they would call pagan, understood the uses of these types of technologies. And so here we go. Black folk 
always having to teeter in between what we call the sacred and the secular, in between the profane and the profound, always having to say, uh-uh, honey, you got to watch what spirits come up on you, though. I don't know that. I don't know that. So get that stuff away from me. Friends, It's you sound ignorant. And let me tell you why you sound ignorant, because essentially what you're saying is I don't know my history. And instead of just saying I don't know my history and being OK with that, you say that that's that that's that's crazy. That, that's voodoo. These traditions and religions acknowledge the most high. When we say the name Oladumare, you know what that means? It is the Yoruba for the ultimate supreme being. When we say the term Chukwu, it's another name for God that means Chukwu, the great spirit. When we say the name Nzambi and Pungu, it simply means there is nothing greater than. You understand what I'm saying? This is the language of your ancestors. Who told you the language of your ancestors was tragic? But you're okay with using the language of your Jewish ancestors. That's okay, though. Because that's fine. Because we know that. You're you okay with it. You're okay with that. So what a woman is saying <clears throat> is, friends, I, because I walk with the Most High, in whichever way the Most High greets me, it is that, it is, it is that, 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 that Buddhist understanding, the namaste, I respect the divinity in you. You respect the divinity in me. And while I acknowledge Jesus, or for me, Yeshua Hamashiach, the African Messiah, and the African Holy Ghost, while I acknowledge those, as, and for me, again, I know I might be, you know, rocking off the cliff here, but as I acknowledge him as a leader mm-hmm. that I follow, I'm saying this intentionally, that I follow. I don't worship. I worship mm-hmm. God. I follow yeah. Yeshua. My God. I know the song and I get, I love you, Jesus. No. Mm. Nope. No, I don't. Not, mm. like, not that. I have a very low Christology. I just want to be honest about that. I, I, it's a very low one. Um, mm. Because what I understand is what Jesus shows for us, for me anyway, is Jesus shows that we all have the divinity within us. And if we tap in enough, we too have the power to raise the dead. And we become the the Messiah, to and be the Messiah. To be the Messiah. To be the Messiah. Be uh-huh. the Messiah. Yes. That's it. That's it. But but here's the thing. Now y'all can't preach that in church. Because your life ain't going to be on the next week. Your life ain't going to be on. Child, it's going to the people going to leave. But somebody better start telling the truth. That's it, Dr. Sarita. Somebody. And, and so what I'm just trying to share with you all is this is what's so attractive about the Hush Harbor. Mm. This is what we talk about in Pink Road Chronicles. So what I'm telling those of you who are still pastoring, who are pastoring brick and mortar is that friends, if you want your people back, because mm. some of them just ain't coming back. I just come want to the timely wisdom. Mm. I've seen, you know, you done provided for them. Reverend Renita Williams, Reverend Melanie Jones, you know, Reverend Kelly Fair. They not going back. Mm. <laughs> it's like someone who's been emancipated. And now you asking them, 
to come back here. If they come back, they come back because they miss the community worship, because they miss the company of saints. But the moment you start preaching that same stuff, the moment they, they're not coming back. They're not coming back. Especially not, young babies. They, listen, they are not coming back. Well, you coming back. <laughs> Am I though? <laughs> oh, yes. That really I'm is. Oh, here, yeah. So, so that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, I say, My soul is on fire. I'm with the black. I'm with the Baptist folk now. Listen. Mm. Ooh, you have blessed our so I mean, ever loving. We can't take your yeah, ever loving, so we can't take enough notes and we can't keep up, girl. You blessed us tremendously here, and of course, there are so many comments that say you got to come back very soon, and uh, we're gonna set that up because it's gonna happen. But you have blessed us tremendously. I don't know if you see the bottom. Bottom here, what uh, Dr. Burns is doing, she can't even talk. You see her? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she can't even talk. And, and it's just so, so help, so, so, oh, I came so thick, so heavy here. Yeah. It yes. has, yes. it's yes. blessed us so much that it has enlightened us yes. in, in ways that you can never imagine. And can, um, I, can I just say this real quick because I know we're over time, but I, I want to be, be clear to everyone who's listening. I want to be clear. I am not, I'm not, you know, in the abolition movement of abolishing the black church. That's not what oh. I'm saying. If you heard oh, that, 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 Dr. Sampson, Dr. Sampson, that, no, 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 no. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me stop you there. No you, don't, you, okay. you, you don't need to say that. Um, what today was heavy, but okay. it was a liberating heavy. Yes. And so and so how you articulated, how you express it, how you told the stories, broke it up. This there no, there there is there's no um as we you know we say in the school, there's no need for apologetics here. You no you, but no disclaimers we, necessary. No, we don't need any of that. Yeah, no. What I do need is that mama somebody you just kept talking about mama so I can write it down. Mama mama somebody. So Bonfu S O B O N S O B O N F U. The bone food. So may S O M E. Um, I'm looking over at my bookshelf. Um, the, the book that I use a lot. Um, I'm going to write it in here. Go ahead. It's falling out of grace. Yeah, I have it in there. I'll write it. And and what she means when she's talking about falling out of grace, um, she's talking about not grace as Christians understand it. She means what happens when you fall out of right relationship with yourself, with God, and community. That's it. She says that when you have fallen out of grace, the only thing that will bring you back into right relationship is ritual. Mm. So the point that I was making before I went down that rabbit hole was that oh, no. we are scared of ritual, many Christians. Yet we scared of ritual, but we take communion talking about the blood and the body. Mm. <laughs> but we scared of ritual. ritual. <laughs> That's another thing. Um, and so what she's saying is that we need to realign ourselves with the natural elements um, and the spirit world because yes. what ritual does is, so let's look at communion. The purpose of communion 
is to tie us in together. It is not an individual decision. It is a collective right that we do so that every time we do it, we remember our responsibility of sacrifice, not to sacrifice, you know, my body, but the sacrifice on behalf of the least of these. So we engage in a supper and every time we do it, we are to remember who is not at the table. And what she is suggesting is, is that our communities in the West don't ritual. And here's one, for example, a ritual then would be wailing, wailing, lamenting. Because we don't lament, because the Western European Euro-centered individualized culture says that, suck it up, man up, woman up, this is what you got to do, this is what it is, right? And because we've internalized that as black people who understand to show any kind of weakness emotionally could get us killed, then we have buried that. And it becomes for for you pastoral theologians and practitioners, uh, it becomes compacted grief. So then when that grief is compacted and there's nowhere else for it to go, then the grief begins to be internalized and metastasized on our organs. Metastasizes on our organs, it becomes toxic. Now our internal systems, our body ecology is imbalanced. When your body ecology becomes imbalanced, then you get disease. Disease then becomes a disease from which we get like cancer, like diabetes, like high blood pressure, all this stems because we're not wailing. We're not crying out because we are not releasing and we're holding it in. When we hold it in and when that disease comes, it disconnects us, she says. It disconnects us from self, God, and community. So we are running around here as a people who are disconnected from the rituals and traditions of its legacy, a people who have forgotten their names because they don't recognize the energy that is attached to them. Their name and have forgotten the sacred agreement they made before coming to this side of the earth of people who are empty, the people who are void, because in our moment of not knowing what else to do, we allowed at some point we move from using this type of Christianity as a mask to really internalizing and adapting it. And now we regurgitate it to others and keep others in this type of bondage. And what Sabonfu says is when you see that you know that a community has fallen out of grace my god (laughs) it's interesting that you talk about the you talk about the names because um i have many african friends some african children that i have Mm -hmm. inherited and and you ask them what's your name and they'll say something like angelique (laughs) Or like, uh, uh, and I'm saying that's not really your name. And I said, well, yes, that's my name. So what they've done is they've won a a a a, a, a lotto to come over. And the first thing that they do is they change their names to an American type name so that they can feel like they fit in. No, what is your name? And Dr. Burns, uh, Iatundi told me to please, please, please help you to pronounce her name. Iatundi Ariatuko. She's from Sierra Leone. And you always say, Miss Cole, I'm not going to mess your name up. It's Iatundi. 
And so they changed their names to make them feel better. Ooh, Dr. Wright. Now let's watch y'all, y'all, y'all know we the reason, why, the reason why she wants you to make sure <laughs> Dr. Burns says her name mm. is because one in our in our indigenous traditions, a name is attached to pride. Come on, and while we're being respectful because we don't want to mess up your name, mm-hmm. learn how to say it. It, it's a it's a it's a it's an unintentional disrespect because the name is the proudest thing I have. Mm. And name is the marker of my village. It's the marker of my people. When I tell you my name, you know where I'm from. So when you yeah. don't say my name, you are admitting me. Mm-hmm. Right? And so she's saying, just share on how to pronounce it. Just mm-hmm. share because I want you to say my name. Because it's not just, when I say energy, what I'm really mm-hmm. saying is that, because remember, the child told the chief who the child was to be. And the chief named the child based on the act that the child is coming to fulfill. So when you say my name, you put into the earth what I'm called to do. When you don't say my name, then I can forget who I am. Mm. That's the truth. Say my name. Thank our guests. Thank our guests for yes. that. Y'all know we, yes. well, we, we, we are well it. over our time. We're well over our time. Y'all hit the heart buttons. Put in there just how much you appreciate her. I'm just catching my breath. My God, Dr. Sampson, thank you for being with us on today. We cannot wait to have you back. You are we coming cannot back wait very soon. to have you back. And I do want to acknowledge, I want to thank some of our previous guests, Dr. Gina Stewart, Dr. for Gina being Stewart. present on day. Um, Dr. Kelly Farrow, we thank Dr. you um, for your um, presence on we today. We see your loves. Love y'all mm-hmm. so much. Um, and thank you, um, Dr. Robinson, for the, um, for the information. For Make sure that you go back and uh, like, tag, and share, because God is doing a great thing here on Timely Wisdom. We love you yeah. dearly. Next week, we have none other than the Reverend... Kokisha Bailey Robinson will be in the house talking about calling. Mm. You're calling. Come on back. Same time, same place. We love you. Your name. Timely wisdom.